Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is to create moments that change lives. We pray that these weekly messages will be a moment in your day that leads to a change in your life. For more information, visit us online at LifeGateBurleson.com. We're going to read out of Luke 10, 25 through 37. This is about the Good Samaritan. This is the scripture that we're going to be leaning into for this series. And so if you can open up your, open up your Bibles or go to them on your phones, we're going to start in verse 25. Verse 25. And here's how it reads. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out the denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That's a powerful story that Jesus tells, right? It's a powerful story on how to be a good neighbor. And I just want to lean into this verse real quick, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Today, I want to kick this message off by asking you a challenging question. How daring do you think you are? How bold? Would you dare to love those who are different than you? Would you dare to love those who are different than you? As we lean into this message and this scripture today, we're going to think about the story and how Jesus used someone completely opposite of the hurting Jew to actually help him. But before we do... I'm going to ask this question. What are some things that keep us from helping others? What are some things that keep us from helping others? Number one, I thought, you know what? The way they act. They don't act like me, right? So a person can be different because they grew up in a different location. They have a different accent. Uh, Maybe there's even a language barrier that makes it uncomfortable or hard to have a conversation with them. It makes it hard to help or to even know how to help because maybe we don't quite understand what they need. There's a language barrier. Cultural differences cause behavior and personality differences, right? So someone can have a different culture than us and so their personality can seem different than ours. They don't act like us. They have different gestures, different mindsets, different communication styles. For example, eye contact, we like eye contact, right? When we're having conversations. But in other cultures, other per- it could be rude. It could be considered rude or disrespectful. It can cause conflict. Because someone doesn't act like us, it's hard sometimes for us to help them. 
Maybe you even said, man, I really want to be that person's friend. I really want to reach out to them. I really want to try and help build a relationship or a bridge, but I can't read them. They don't act like me. They don't respond to sad or emotional moments like I do. They don't engage like I do. I ask them a question and I get a yes or a no back, right? It's just easier for me to stop. It's easier for me not to reach out. Have you... We have to realize and remember that no one personality is ever better than the other, right? Your, your personality is not better than the neighbor who is down the wor- road or the neighbor that you work with. Each personality has its own strength, right? When these natural strengths are left raw, they can become weaknesses. But maybe you have a personality and, and a heart to help people. Maybe you have a, a, a personality and, and a heart to plan and organize. Maybe you're good at bringing peace to situations. We need to own our strengths and our giftings, but we also need to understand that our God-given personality is not like somebody else's God-given personality, right? We got to remember that the way that they act doesn't substitute or make a difference for us not to reach out to them, not to be neighborly to them. Jesus didn't look for model students when he was choosing his followers, He didn't look for model students. He looked for those who would allow to be influenced and reshaped by his love. He looked for real people who he could send out and tell others and communicate about his love to anybody else that would want to respond. To tell them that his love is available to anyone who needs it, who wants it. Now, when each of us embraces our God-given personality and we understand that other people have God-given personalities and God-shaped personality personalities that's when we can really begin to understand and experience the powerful and positive difference that we can make in each other's lives let's grow let's understand that people are different even when they don't act like us yes it's hard it's hard that's what stops us sometimes they don't act like me number two maybe they don't look like me right so maybe sometimes the way a person looks keeps us from being a good neighbor to them maybe it's the way that they wear their clothes Maybe you think, I I wouldn't wear my clothes that way. Maybe it's the color of their skin. Maybe it's that they have way more tattoos and piercings than I have. They wear their hair different from me. They don't look like me. I can't be friends with them. In Acts 10, 9 through 16, God gives Peter a vision to help him see people like God does. He gives him a vision to help him see people how God sees them. And after the vision, he goes to the house of a Gentile uh, Roman soldier named Cornelius to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. God can reshape the way that you see people. Cornelius was a God-fearing man who prayed. He gave to the needy, but he didn't know Jesus. And he was searching, and he wanted to know more about God. And so God sent him and his whole household, Peter. Now, Peter would not have considered Cornelius a neighbor. He wouldn't have considered him somebody that he would go to their house. This wouldn't have been a man he shared the gospel with, but God told him otherwise. And so then in Acts 10, 27, this is what Peter says. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. God changed the way that Peter saw people. 
in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The scripture, it illustrates that the world focuses on what people look like. Right? We look at what people have, what they look like. That's our tendency. It's sometimes the very first thing that we go to, to look at what people can do or what they can bring to a situation, what they can offer. But a good neighbor doesn't do that. A good neighbor doesn't do that. So what keeps us from reaching out, being a good neighbor, sometimes is the way that people look. But we know God sees and focuses on what people look like on the inside. We need to do the same. As our neighbor, as a neighbor, our job is to move in obedience to what God has called us to do. How God would call us to love no matter what. So maybe they don't act like me. They don't look like me. They don't believe like me. Maybe their religion and the way they worship doesn't match my own. Either their God is different, and they really, really need to know our God, if that's the case, or they don't see him in the same way that I do. They don't see him in the same way that we do. So they believe differently. Maybe it's even in their political views, and their, their opposite political views. We don't think the same way in this area. Or maybe it's in parenting views, and the way that they would raise their kids is nothing like the way that I would raise my kids. The views on how they're raising up their children is not how I would do. I don't believe like them. How can I be their neighbor? Sometimes these are questions, right? They don't act like me. They don't look like me. They don't believe like me. How can I be their neighbor? How can we be neighbors? So when those are questions that we ask, we need to see that Jesus used a Samaritan who was the most unlikely person to help a Jew to teach this lesson as he was telling this story about being a good neighbor. The Jews who were listening, when Jesus used the word Samaritan, the name Samaritan, they were so confused. So just for a minute, let's talk about why this is so controversial. Um, you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan, or maybe you haven't, but maybe you've heard it a lot. Maybe you've you know, heard of the hospitals that are named after, named after the Good Samaritan, or you've heard of the project, the Good Samaritan Project, or you've heard pieces about it, but you haven't known exactly, like, what's, what's a Samaritan? What is it? And why did Jesus teach that story? And why did he use a Samaritan? And here's the distinction. The Jews and the Samaritans, we know this, we've said it, we've heard the story, they hated each other. Now, here's why. The kingdom of, of Assyria had exiled all but the poorest among the northern ten tribes of Israel. They had exiled them, except, if, except for the poor. And in their place, the Elamites and the Assyrians bred with the poor Israelites left in the land. And this resulted in a mixed race. Okay? which were branded by the Jews that were exiled as unclean because of their mix and because of the idolatry of the other gods that the Assyrians had brought into that culture. Now, the hostility between the Jews and Samaritans were legendary. They built, the Samaritans built temples, and they rejected scripture because they rejected writings and the prophets. They didn't believe in what they said anymore. They didn't believe that it was authoritative, that it, that it was the word of God. They didn't believe it anymore. The Samaritans showed hatred, hostility to the, Drew, to the Jews, where the Jews, when they had to travel through Samaria, they wouldn't even, they would go around. They would take the long way because they didn't, have to want, to, they didn't want to run in to a Samaritan. Now, they hated each other. When I say this, I can keep saying it right. They hated each other with a passion. They hated each other from everything that was in it. We could say it all different ways. Right? They did not 
like each other. So in this story, the most unlikely one to care was the one to show mercy. And Jesus was teaching this um, in a way that he was teaching how to, sh- how to love your neighbor. Now, being a neighbor is not just for the people who look like us, who are like us, who act like us, who believe like us. It's also about loving those who are different, who are not like us. Those with different political views, different social or economic statuses, different color of skin, we love our neighbor. Now, how can you dare to love your neighbor? What are some things that we need to do? Number one, we need to make room for interruptions. We need to make room for interruptions. The priest and the Levite, they were traveling somewhere. We don't know where they were going, but they were going somewhere for a reason. They had plans, maybe they had appointments, deadlines to meet. Maybe they were on a journey in service of the Lord. Maybe they were trying to rationalize in their head, I can't take time to help because I've got the Lord's work to do, right? They were rationalizing. They didn't have time for interruptions. How many times do we pretend not to see the the neighbor that the Lord has asked us to stop and talk to in the grocery store, right? We're in a hurry. I got somewhere to be. I got the Lord's work to do. Or pretend not to see the need of the person that we don't see eye to eye with, and we cross over to the other side. We get on the other side of the building. We go somewhere else because we don't have time to be inconvenienced. Our lives may be uninterrupted, and we may arrive at our destination right on time. We might be right on schedule, but we missed the heart of God. We missed an opportunity to be the extension of his hands in that situation. When he asks us to stop, when he asks us to open our eyes and see the neighbor who needs help, when he asks us to say yes, and we're like, Lord, I don't have time. I don't have time to be interrupted. I don't have time to be inconvenienced. I'm doing your work over here. Let's close our Let's close ourselves off to not wanting to be interrupted. I get it. Like interruptions, man, they are, they are sometimes a nuisance. But a God interruption changes everything. What does your average day look like? Do you wake up early in the morning, have an early morning routine, something you look forward to? I'm going to wake up at 5.30 a.m. I'm going to work out. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to get ready for the day get my son off to school, go to the church, do some more Bible time, right? We have these grand ideas, but what does your day look like? Maybe you are capable of that, and I just, I'm so proud of you. I want to do it so bad. I want to wake up at 5.30 in the morning and work out, but I just haven't done it yet. (laughs) Maybe that's your routine, or maybe you get up late and you rush around to ready yourself and your kids for the day that lies ahead. Whatever your day looks like, I can assume that the average person doesn't enjoy being interrupted. Can I see your hands if you do not enjoy an interruption? Right? I know. I <laughs> we all have important things to do. And sometimes life moves way too fast for us. If you have a job, a family, or both, then you know it can be difficult at times to fit everything that you feel like you need to do into one day. But Jesus, he's a perfect example of how to love those around us. Jesus was interrupted during the days of ministry over and over and over again. And he responded to those interruptions with compassion. 
He responded with compassion. Whenever there was a person with faith who sincerely needed his help, he stopped and he helped them. He never complained about being interrupted. He never complained or insisted that he keep moving on. Instead, he encouraged the people. He helped and he rebuked those around him and along the way who had something negative to say about his ministry. He took time. While many of us have a very fast-paced life, it would greatly benefit us to slow down, to pay attention, to see those who may need help, to see them. Let our goal to be, let our goal be to be known as someone who's willing to be interrupted for the kingdom of God. To, to be interrupted. We need to remember that most of the time God's opportunities come disguised as an interruption. God's opportunities come disguised as an interruption and we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Because what would it look like if an, interrup- an interruption to our plan was actually God's plan? What if something happens and there's an interruption and we get frustrated about it, but in the end we understand that was all God's timing and plan, right? For us to slow down, for us to see, for us to look past our plans, our ideas. How many times has God uh, interrupted your life, maybe even to save it? They're not fun at first, but they're usually worth it. Usually we look back and we say, did you see what God did right there? Did you see that moment that he stopped us and that we were interrupted and we were doing this thing and we thought it was going to be amazing, but then God did this, right? God's interruptions, they're worth it. Open your eyes, look around. So number one, we need to make room for interruptions. Number two, we need to make room for nearness. The Greek word for neighbor means the near one. Your neighbor is the one who is near you. We can imagine in this parable that as the man is lying half dead on the road when he sees a priest coming his way, he's got to feel excited. Like, man, is half eye open, you know, I'm, I'm bleeding out my side. I don't really know what's happening, but I see a, I see a priest coming. I've got, I'm going to be saved. This is my compatriot. This is my friend. This is my neighbor. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it. But then the priest keeps going. Then the Levite does the same thing. This is his tribe, his people, his near one. And they keep on going. They pass right by. And when this man looks and sees a Samaritan coming, eye half open, hardly breathing, as the listeners of the parable are listening to Jesus, surely they imagine Jesus getting to this point and thinking the Samaritan came by, stomped on his head, and his heart stopped. No, right? They're thinking the Samaritan, this has got to be a bad, this has got to, something bad's about to happen to this dude. But no, the Samaritan is the one who stops. The Samaritan is the one who draws near The Samaritan is the one who has compassion. Verse 33, when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. He went near him. He became a neighbor out of compassion. The gospel tells us frequently that Jesus was moved with compassion. He healed the sick out of compassion. He went to those who needed to hear the good news out of compassion. He drew near to the hurting and the wounded sinners with compassion. He came to earth to save us out of compassion. Jesus says to us, he tells us, go and do likewise. The devil comes to kill and steal and destroy. And there's a lot of people who are beaten and robbed and feel like they have been left half dead by the devil. We deal with things in our life all the time. We deal with hurt. 
We deal with situations. We deal with family issues. We can feel and feel left and, and pretty beaten. It's tempting in those times for us to even say, I'm just going to look the other way. I don't have time. I'm hurting too much to be able to be a good neighbor. We probably feel the same way sometimes, but we've got enough to deal with. But Jesus drew near. I love this illustration in the story about Joni Erickson. Tells about a compassionate neighbor. Shortly after she broke her neck in a diving accident, she became a quadriplegic, quadriplegic, and she was laying in her bed wishing that she could die. The idea of life without the use of her arms or legs left her scared, depressed, and angry. One night after the nurse had gone off duty, she saw a figure coming towards her in the shadows, and she felt scared and helpless, lying there, not knowing who was there in the dark. And it turned out to be her high school friend, Jackie. Jackie climbed into her bed, took her hand, and raised it in the air so that Joni could see it. And then she began to sing very softly. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, run sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That moment expressed the love of Jesus to Joni and went a long way to healing her heart. Allow for nearness. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when you don't know how a person may respond, allow for nearness. Draw close. Make room. Make room for interruptions. Make room for nearness. Number three, make room for a mess. Now remember, the Samaritan isn't doing this for a friend. He's doing it for an enemy. He is getting his hands dirty. He is touching someone who is beaten, who is bleeding, who is dead, or who is, who is bleeding, who is um, almost dead, who is naked, who is ashamed, but he's willing to get his hands dirty. When Jesus was telling this parable, he was telling the story and teaching a lesson about love. He could have picked an Israelite. He could have picked somebody else walking down the road, but he picked and used a man that the Jews didn't even like to say out loud, right? And in verse 36, it says this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He didn't even say Samaritan. He didn't even say it was the Samaritan. He said the man who had mercy on him. They, they did not like each other, but right, the expert did not use that word. In ordinary course of events, these two nationalities, these two men were enemies but the Samaritans act of love, they end up friends. That's what Jesus did for us. He called us while we're still sinners. He called us friends. And he calls us to do the same. John 13, 34 is a new command. I give love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Some might argue that Jesus was talking to his disciples and said one another, and that means Christians are to really love and be called to love other Christians. Other people say, well, he's, he's saying to love other Christians above anyone that's not a disciple. But we're called to love our brothers and sisters. But Jesus took it further, and he was clear in his message. So when the lawyer asks Jesus, who is my neighbor, he's really asking, hey, where are my boundaries? Who do I have to love? Who is my neighbor? Because that's who I'll love. But Jesus erased all boundaries. Jesus said there is no boundaries. Take it away. No boundaries. We can, get, we can get caught up in not wanting to get messy. We can get caught up in not wanting to love our enemies. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 43 through 48, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, 
Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Walking in love is loving your enemies, your neighbor, yourself, anyone you come in contact with. The lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? Neighbor. I love that Jesus reframes the question and says, whose neighbor am I? The responsibility isn't on them to be our neighbor. It's on us to be their neighbor. We can't go and do likewise perfectly. We can't meet every single need, but by the grace of God and, by, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can be his instruments of compassion to so many people if we just will say yes. If we say yes to that journey, so with our hope and confidence firmly planted in Jesus, the great Samaritan, and all that he's done, all that he's done for us, let's go and let's do likewise. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes today, maybe you're in this church, you're in this room with us, and maybe you are at a place where you are so ready to give your heart to Jesus. You're in your seat, you're feeling his presence, you're feeling him talk to you. Maybe you haven't been in church in a while, maybe you have, but every week you just push this question off to next week. Every week you just push this part of the service off to next week, to next week. I'll do it next time, I'll do it next time. But Jesus is calling you today. He's speaking to your heart. Maybe there are tears in your eyes. Maybe there is something going on with your stomach. Maybe something is just so overwhelming to you that you know today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day. 